What is going on everyone? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today is going to be another compilation episode because the last few days that I've been kind of pondering um, topics of what I should be kind of going over and um, what people really need and kind of the things that I've been seeing a lot lately. And I don't know what it is anytime I get one person reaching out to me, wanting to work with me, it comes in like waves. So it's not just one person, it ends up being like eight. And (laughs) the last three weeks have been nuts doing assessments, emails, programming, and really thinking about what these individuals need. And the biggest um, common theme that I've seen with all these new people is they're all so broken. And, you know, they've kind of been through the ringer. They've gone through all these different uh, practitioners like chiros, physios, massage, injection therapies, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in my experience with um, the clinic side of things, when you've kind of gone down that route of treatment and things are not really working, I started thinking about just basic function of joints, like just the capacity of what your body can do. Because when that capacity is really small and your lifestyle tends to be very active and you like being in the garden, you like doing the hustle and bustle of dropping off the kids, picking up kids, doing housework, whatever it is, and then on top of that, going to the gym, your capacity is not where it needs to be. So you're asking your body to go beyond its capacity. That's like literally revving to red constantly on an empty tank of your car. You're not going to get anywhere far with that kind of, you know, uh, approach. So people get to a point where they mentally, they feel like they can do everything, but their body's not at that same point. And we kind of get into a, a, Um, kind of routine of thinking our bodies can keep up to what we want to do mentally and then we kind of grow outside of our body and we are not connected to what we should be meaning you have a disconnect with your body and things as simple as being able to do a scapular retraction to a point where you can do circles in each direction without any kind of like, oh, what? how do I do this is a great example because anytime I start with somebody and I want them to like, okay, we're going to literally do the cars routine, which is controlled articular rotations and just move your joints the way they're designed. And there are some <laughs> joints that have never moved that way and your body's like what the hell is this i have no idea what you're asking me to do here and no wonder people end up being in pain it's like if your shoulder blade can't do what a shoulder blade does then like everything in life that requires you to move your arm around is not going to function the way it should. And over time, things are going to hurt because things are compensating for it. And this kind of led me down this rabbit hole of 
um, episodes that I put together on this compilation episode. We go over um, if you're injured, what your options are. Um, we go over kin stretch, which is like the basis of what I do with every single person, no matter what their goal is, because I will find a joint that's not functioning correctly. And that is literally the limiting factor to whatever goal you're aiming for, whether it's being able to tie your shoes without low back pain or you trying to deadlift 400 pounds, whatever it is. Like I will find something in your functional range assessment that shows me why you're not getting to your goals. Thirdly, we go over overtraining. This is the second, and you know, it's actually really funny is when I was putting these episodes together, the topic of overtraining was literally like a year ago today almost and I just went through a bout of overtraining and little things like you know I started seeing progression and you know I'm just like everybody else I started listening to my ego and started pushing myself and pushing myself and my body's like you know what I'm gonna stop you and low back like mid low back um seized up on me and was like yeah you're not doing anything (laughs) so i had to physically take time off and only now i am recovered after a week of just mobility work like kettlebell workouts and things like that so i think this is a kind of a good reminder even for myself that i shouldn't be pushing myself to the limit i should be taking breaks and you know if you're like me um sometimes adding weight over and over and over again is not the best thing and i wouldn't be surprised that you know my videos of me uh barbell hip thrusting what was it 330 pounds or even more i can't remember what i did um it was probably the tipping point of me over training um and then at the end of all these episodes i talk about success and what it looks like and you know success is different for everyone Um, but I'm not going to expand on all those topics because I'm going to go in depth on these, but I felt like all these topics kind of are going to come together quite nicely. And this is the kind of the stuff that people don't really talk about because you know how my show is not just like, here's a bunch of foods that you're not supposed to eat. Here are the foods that you are supposed to eat to lose weight. Here's the fat loss workouts. This is what you need to do. But that's, that's like the smallest little thing about, fitness and health, the bigger picture stuff is where true change happens. And it's usually the non-sexy things like joint function. (laughs) But it's one of those things where people don't care about or they just don't think it's um, a big enough deal. And every time someone finally comes to me because they know I'm a huge Um, fan about proper movement and joint health and things like that and I can show them and I can make them feel what they're not good at and they finally click in like oh that's why I'm not um, progressing but we'll let myself from a year or two years ago explain all that but um, the other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into this episode is if you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel please do so now so one you get updated every time i post a new video like this um you get updated anytime i post a new exercise that i use for programming or whatever it is and that's the other thing too is like my youtube page is like a huge resource for fitness and health like 
if you need a certain exercise, like if you need a tutorial, if you want me to do a tutorial, like more than happy to do so. Like I have, I think close to 300 tutorials on exercises that I use all the time. I'm getting really close to 2000 videos on my YouTube page. So 100% subscribe, like, leave a comment, like all those little things help my um, channel grow and reach more people and more. I think I'm like two people away from 400 subscribers, so please, maybe you will be the number 400 that takes me over that little hump and I kind of get into the next bracket of the algorithm of YouTube. But um, thank you all for support, can't talk, supporting me, um, reaching out to me, leaving comments, DMing me on Instagram. Like, I love um, helping as many people as possible. So if you have a question, like feel free to reach out. Um, that's it for me. Let's get right into this episode. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I am pumped to be speaking with you today or, you know, if you guys are watching at home, so glad to have you see me in my dwelling. As you can tell, I am not in my like workout space so today is going to be more so of just a little chat you know you and me just hanging back and hopefully you're listening to this as you're you know driving into work and about to start your week and for all those who like literally listen to my podcast the moment I upload it thank you because it's so interesting to see you know the moment I upload a new episode and an hour goes by and I go back and just like refresh to see how many listens I get. And it's like 44 people already listened to my episode. Like that's pretty fucking hardcore. You guys are so awesome. So thank you for that support. Um, today, what we're going to go into is the importance of joint health. But before we get into that, I'm going to make a an oppor- not an opportunity, make the effort to kind of Um, remind everyone that my new book, The Ironclad Body Training System, is taking shape quite a bit. Um, I think I will be able to release it the first week of October, the way things are going. And, you know, if you haven't done so already, put your name down for my pre-sale list. So if you hit the show notes of this episode, I'll have like a Google form and all you have to do is put your name and email down. And basically, when my book is ready, you are going to be able to get it before anyone else. So before I even have my entire, you know, launch and pre-sale and all that, the people that put their names down are going to get it first. And I'm still working out the details, but most likely I will have a physical copy and also the ebook version Um, with the physical copy we'll see how things go. It might be a little bit more expensive because obviously print, but you know, it is what it is. And it's going to be a thick book. It's going to be like a textbook. So get ready. And even as we speak right now, like I'm editing videos, like tutorial videos for my book. And I think I have like four more tutorials and I am like done filming. And I just have a couple more things I just need to like sprinkle in and it's going to be done. So if you are one of those people who bought my first book the second volume of this like think about that book but like put it on steroids like it's out of this world it's going to be amazing and there's a few surprises that i've added that i'm super excited about so stay tuned hit the show notes and um 
put your name down for that pre-sale list. It's going to be worth it. Um, from there, we're going to chat about joint health. So a lot of the posts I've been putting up has been, you know, movement related, not so much weight loss related, whatever it is. And I have this conversation a lot with people where it's like, great, you want to lose weight, you want to lose fat. Awesome. But if this vessel of your body is not able to withstand the stresses of like fat loss workouts, you're not going to get really too far. You know, that's it's equivalent to like you deciding to race in a NASCAR race with a Honda Civic. You'll be able to go around the track, but you're not going to do well. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if you took the time to be like, I'm going to save up money and buy these tires. I'm going to buy this other stuff. I'm going to hire a pit crew and all this kind of crap. So you become, you know, more prepared in order to perform at something like a NASCAR race. A lot of people, especially our general population people, where they get that motivation in the beginning to go, I want to start exercising. My friend's doing this class. I hired this trainer. There's this boot camp down the street and you follow the program that they put out for everyone and you start doing it and you start noticing some aches and pains. I'm not saying that everyone's broken. What I'm saying is that most people based on the environment that we live in don't have the necessary requirements or prerequisites in order to do the exercises that I see or have seen in most fitness settings. That doesn't say that you have to stop exercise altogether because you're like, oh my God, my joints don't work. It's more so finding what exercises actually work for your joints. You know, like I've seen every program, like online trainers do this all the time. It's like woman wants to build a better looking backside. So then the program has barbell hip thrusts, barbell back squats, barbell deadlifts, awesome exercises. But maybe for that, you know, woman that is 37 years old that's trying to get back into it and wants to, you know, develop a strong backside, good-looking glutes, hamstrings, you name it, may not be able to get the full benefit of that exercise. So one of the things that I've been doing recently, so for those who don't know, um, I've been recently certified in the functional range assessment where it looks at, you know, the body on the whole of what, you know, capabilities do you have when it comes to movement. And when we go through the FRA, the functional range assessment, joint by joint, movement by movement, and it gives me a clear um, kind of guideline or, you know, metric of where you are, you may not have all the things necessary in your shoulder to do something like a back squat. And for those people who haven't been following me for a while, your shoulder has a lot to do with something like the back squat, right? So now imagine this person that I did the FRA for and I figured out that their left shoulder and right hip 
are like at 20% of what a shoulder and hip can do. So now you take that 20% shoulder and 20% hip and you put yourself in a back squat uh, environment where you need a shoulder and hip to be functioning at 100%. So what happens? Faulty squat patterns and a lot of times when you know a coach or trainer sees that the back squat doesn't look good and is like gotta go lower keep the chest up just go lower you know take a bigger breath like go wider at the feet like sometimes those things work but most of the time you're not going to change someone's anatomy right there and then right sometimes what happens is that one the person's progressed way too quickly to go do those things and they should be doing something else and number two is like no matter how much the coach yells to go lower hips like it could be bone on bone they could be pinching they like there's so many things and i tell this to every single person that um, decides to do an fra like they will say they do a hip car so hip controlled articular rotation at the very end of the fra and they feel they literally can feel that their hip doesn't move the way it should and then I go, okay, so out of 10, 10 being like the best hip in the world, no issues, out of 10, where are we at with your hip? And a lot of times people are like four, five, and I'm like, okay, so we're at four out of 10. Your hip is at 40%. You're asking your hip to do 100% movements. Something's gonna give eventually, right? Something's not going to be happy over time. So rather than going square peg in a round hole over and over and over again and i always say this so many like literally i posted today um in the morning a post i put out two years ago about you know how your body when it's like say like perfect this functioning at a optimal level it's kind of like a blank canvas and now you can start painting beautiful pictures on it and when you finish painting like you're gonna have this beautiful portrait but now imagine the canvas being your body and you have that 40 percent hip that 20 percent shoulder and that canvas is like there's holes and tears and stuff like that and then you try to paint over top of it and like you can be like the freaking van gogh trying to paint over a terrible canvas it's gonna look okay but it's not gonna be like the best work like no world-renowned artists could do their best work on that and really how i look at that is kind of like the reflection of your movement quality right like your can blank canvas that has some holes and tears or whatever is trying to paint you know a beautiful picture by doing a movement like a back squat which would look amazing on a lovely blank canvas it just doesn't happen right and a lot of times like even from a coaching perspective, when I'm, you know, mentoring other coaches under me, you know, it comes down to the shit test, right? Like when you walk down the street and like something looks like shit, smells like shit, most likely it's shit. So you use the same rule when it comes to exercise. So when you look at someone doing a movement and you're just like, I don't, I don't know, something, something was weird there. Something doesn't look like it should. So most likely it's not good form 
And in that case, you know, like, why bother pushing yourself into those positions where your body physically can't meet the demand? And that's where a lot of times people injure themselves or something flares up or something sore. And now they have to stay away from that exercise. Like that is like the worst thing is like my knee hurts when I do fucking walking lunges. So I'm not going to do walking lunges anymore. And then eventually that becomes now walking lunges and back squats hurt my knee. So I'm not going to do those two things. And that eventually turns into walking lunges, back squats, front squats, any kind of squats. Anytime I put my knee in this position, it always hurts. So I'm just going to like stop doing lower body stuff and just focus on this instead. And then you like never address the issue. Like for some reason, when it comes to exercising, people will avoid things and not deal with it at all and do other things. And then eventually those things become things that you can't do anymore and then eventually you become a person where it's like I can only do hip thrusts because everything else hurts and like it it doesn't have to be that way you know and a lot of times too like people who have these issues will tell their trainer if they have you know someone that they hired and like the worst thing that I see is this client of yours expressing that x hurts or when i do this thing it hurts blah 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 blah, and they're like listening and they're like you know what we'll no we won't do that and we'll just do this whereas the conversation should be like are you seeing a physio or chiro massage like let's book you in with somebody to address the root cause and not like you know what we'll just never do back squats anymore you know what we'll never do walking lunges anymore because those issues are going to pop up and is most likely due to that 40% hip or 20% shoulder. And if you don't do anything about those things, things are going to get worse. We all know is that as we age, joint health is like the number one thing that prevents us from doing the things we enjoy. So why wouldn't you want to place a priority on joint health? And that doesn't mean you're doing yoga. You know what I mean? Like, I've utilized yogis in my training, um, especially in kin stretch, and they find it challenging. Which just goes to show, like, there's a lot to be done if someone's having trouble with, you know, a movement like, you know, you're in a 90-90 position and you're trying to lift your leg into abduction and all you get is cramps. Like, that's kind of a big red flag because if you do a lateral lunge, that lateral hip needs to be able to function without a weird, you know, motor uh, pattern. Kind of going off the path. But the key thing here to understand is that if your joint doesn't work as a joint, you know, should, then if you decide to do something like a back squat walking lunges, bench press, whatever it is, bad shit is going to happen. And I think now people are starting to understand that, you know, maybe I need to be able to move and feel better. And that's where I've kind of been seeing um, clients in the fitness industry kind of going towards because they've kind of, you know, figured out that 
and they've probably been through it so many times where they start exercising, something hurts, they go to physio, chiro, whatever, and they realize that, you know, my shoulder always does this thing when I do X, Y, and Z. So they're looking for other options. But here's the thing that uh, I find super interesting is that, you know, every joint in your body, so like your neck, your shoulder, your knees, your ankles, your hips, the nerves that surround those joints, you know, they give you feedback, right? An example of this is like, say you tore your ACL, like right away, you fucking know you tore your ACL. There is an interesting thing when it comes to pain where say I like walk down the hall and like bump my forearm onto a table. Like I'm like, oh, that like hurts. And essentially what happens when that, you know, external force hits my forearm to cause pain, you know, that signal is sent to a spinal cord. It goes up to my brain. The brain decides what to do. But for some interesting reason, when we tear a rotator cuff right into our shoulder, that pain signal does not go to our spinal cord first. It bypasses that and goes straight to the brain. And it's a quicker response. So now we have all these joints that are kind of placed in a hierarchy or like an organizational pattern of a system. And this is exactly what like the FRS company that you know has Kin Stretch, FRC, FR Release, and FRA talk about. Like this system, you know, we're like the joke that Dr. Andrew Spina says, like we're just like the nervous system in meat, and the nervous system dictates what the meat can do. So if our joints that are directly related to our nervous system, right to the brain then it would make sense that we should make sure that these joints are optimally, you know, moving, grooving the way they should because they have a huge influence on what the rest of our body can do. So if the joint doesn't have the health or integrity it needs to have, then what chance does the rest of your muscles have to perform something like the back squat, probably very, very small. And when I put someone through the FRA and they can actively feel that their hips, their T-spine, their shoulders, their neck don't move the way they should and it feels like a grind, it feels you know, like a challenge, like a lot of work. And people will say things like, holy crap, that felt like a workout. And I'm like, yeah and you are going to this boot camp class or CrossFit or whatever it is, and you're constantly throwing your body into movement positions where you may not be ready for. Now, what I want people to understand is that you shouldn't just stop exercising. A lot of those movements can be scaled back and then find that variation where, you know, you could do very, very well in. So, I know that if I get somebody, I'm not going to fix your joints like that. Most of the time, I don't have enough time to do something like that because tissue turnover takes a long, long time to you know, make it happen, right? Like if I had someone doing kin stretch with me twice a week, um, you know, in six months, that's where we could see a lot of change. 
but um, knowing that, I have to make you know the decision that you know the person also wants to lose weight and move and feel better. So I need to find exercises that can fill those holes, fill those gaps. And you know, I always kind of rack on, like, rag on um, the back squat, bench press, deadlift, because those are the ones that you always see all the fucking time, right? So another thing I wanted to bring up is like, you know, people doing hip thrusts, awesome exercise, but again, do you have the requirements to do that? Most likely not. Most people have low back pain. Most people have a desk job. Most people have tight hips. So you're telling me, let's place a barbell with like, I don't know, 95 pounds to 150 pounds to 200 pounds, and now thrust your hips up into hip extension in order to activate your glutes. Do you really think a person that has shitty hip mobility, that sits all day, that has, you know, minimal amount of movement already has the capabilities in order to drive that weight up and activate their glutes at a maximal load probably not probably not is there other ways to develop those glutes to get to the hip thrust right so a lot of times it's like you get that person that wants to have a better backside you do the assessment and you're like yep so every time you extend your hip your low back goes Every time you extend your hip, your hamstrings cramp. So why not learn how to do a glute bridge first? Let's get really good at glute bridges. So now I designed this program for a person where after four weeks, their glute bridge looks amazing. They're getting their glutes engaged. They feel it. They're moving better. They're feeling better. Their low back's not hurting. It's like, okay, let's like progress it. Let's just do like a hip thrust with your shoulders on the bench body weight. Let's keep going. Now you're doing that for four weeks. All good. Let's put a freaking sandbag on your hips. Let's go single leg. Let's now try the barbell, but not off a bench. Let's just do a barbell glute bridge. Like those are the steps that people need to take, right? As a person that's exercising, if you're in a class setting, you see the program or whatever the coach decides for you to do you should ask like is there an easier version because the answer is yes there is always an easier version like if someone wanted to back squat and they had zero business being there let's maybe goblet squat because usually that's the safer option people can usually do a pretty decent goblet squat and at what point um do you like progress like as you see that they are moving better and they can maintain a neutral spine and the knees track over to the toes and all that bullshit that people say that you should be doing when you squat, then it's like, let's just go heavier. You know, like, even for myself, like, I still goblet squat. Like, you know what's really challenging is if you decide to goblet squat with a 100-pound dumbbell. Like, that's fucking hard. I 100% would say that's a lot harder to do than a back squat with 135 with shitty form, right? Like, get more for what your workout is. A lot of us have not enough time in the week to fit in three hours a week of workouts so if I'm going to do a barbell back squat with 135 that I can only do quarter squats because my body is not able to do that movement and I'm just, you know, burning X amount of calories because I'm not getting enough muscle activation compared to like I'm putting a 100 pound dumbbell in front here and I'm utilizing my entire core in order not to like drop forward and then I'm squatting and I get a, 
better depth, I have better muscle activation, like that's more bang for my buck. Like why wouldn't I wanna do that? That's the same thing that I do with my clients is like, I do a really thorough assessment, I know where you're at, so now let's utilize those exercises what, with what you have found in the assessment so then you get the most bang for your buck, right? Like. I have never had a client in my career where they had to take off time because they were injured. You know what I mean? Like, now imagine, and I've brought this up on my show so many times, that if you were able to have more time in the gym per year, you'd want that. If you were able to train effectively more per year and continually progress yourself, you kind of want that approach compared to like, I'm going to try my best to pick up whatever fitness class and then hope for the best. And if something hurts, I'll just stop, right? Like I've never had that situation where someone had to stop. Again, like I work with a lot more, you know, so-called broken people. Sometimes they have flare-ups and they need to take that time off. But then we get to a certain point where the, they start showing up a little bit more, they get that consistency, their rehab's in place, they're seeing treatment, whatever it is, and things start coming together. But for the most part, general population people, they need to follow the right amount of um, exercises that you know their body's able to do, and a lot of times they just don't know, right? Like, this is why I believe that people need to hire a credible trainer to give them those options because it's going to be really hard for you to figure that shit out on your own and you know like even investing just like your local trainer that you've researched to do a thorough assessment and give you ideas of what you should and shouldn't do like every trainer should be able to do that but not a lot are which is the sad thing but essentially what I would love to see is like someone doing an assessment and the trainer going, here's all the exercises you should be doing. These are the ones you should stay away from right now. And here's options down the road if you decide to hire me or here's some homework things, things like that. Like those are the services that people need. You know, like I know a lot of people want to be independent while training, but you still need some help on the way. It's kind of like if I decided to do my own plumbing, like, sure, I can go on YouTube and read articles and go on Reddit and all that bullshit, but eventually, like, I'm going to end up spending more time, like, failing and eventually just hiring someone to do it because down the road, a pipe is going to burst and I'll be like, well, fuck, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to just hire somebody and I would save a lot of time. Long story short, joint health and integrity should be your number one priority then consistency, then you're patient, then you'll see success. This is how I relate everything to fat loss because joint health trumps all. If you don't have joint health, you'll end up doing that yo-yo up and down cycle throughout the entire year where you're training consistently, you have to stop. Training consistently, then you have to stop. So really, really think about that. Um, if you need more help with this kind of stuff, like Kim Stretch is where it's at. Um, I would highly recommend you reach out to me to kind of get an idea. I literally have people that reach out to me to see if they can do an FRA or an assessment online, you know, through Zoom. More than happy to do that with you to kind of give you some ideas. It's pretty interesting how people reach out for that because now Zoom is like such a normal thing. And, you know, I want to help people move and feel better. So 
Just think about it. Joint health overall, over everything, seriously. If you don't have joint health, then you don't have movement. Um, that's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the support. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. Add me on Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel because I've been posting a lot of videos. So keep up to date. That's it for me, you guys. Until next time. What's up, my podcast listeners and all my viewers on YouTube? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm bringing back another amazing episode where I film it. And put it on my YouTube page as well as strip the audio, put it on my podcast. So for all those people listening, for this one, you don't really need to watch it. But if you want to see this beautiful mug, I highly recommend you hit the show notes and watch it. Um, before we get into the topic, because I always freaking forget, I'm going to do some shout outs for my top three most listened cities. So number one, all the way in Texas, a city named Maypearl. So wanted to bring this up because in within the last 24 hours, I've had over 900 people listen from the city of Maypearl. Maypearl, sorry. Um, so shout out to everyone in Texas listening to my show. That's super cool. Um, and then number two, all the way in Australia, a city named Boral. Boral. Hopefully I said that right probably butchering it i'm terrible i'm sorry and then a number three out in ohio the city of columbus shout out to everyone in ohio listening to my show super awesome and the topic that we're going to get in today um kind of timely because i recently got injured i know i know and it's never anything cool like i think everyone who is listening to this or watching this they understand that anytime they get injured and because most of us don't play any kind of professional sport or even an amateur sport, um, it's never anything cool. Um, so this is going to sound stupid, but essentially I was carrying my bag for work along with my lunch and my big ass water bottle and another giant bag in my other arm and trying to maneuver down on the garage and I rotated pretty quickly and my whole back on the right side seized up and I basically fell to the ground and looked like a fool. And uh, that was Friday morning, and today is Sunday afternoon, and I'm still pretty fucked up. But um, what we're going to talk about in this episode is what you should do in these situations and what options you have, since I have quite the extensive background in rehab. So maybe what I'll do in this episode is... Um, kind of showcase what I did um, personally and what things you guys should do if you ever find yourself in a situation where you go to pick up, you know, laundry off the floor and your whole fucking back gives out or can you roll your ankle hiking or walking on the sidewalk or you pull your groin because you slipped on uh, wet grass or I don't know, but something. Um, so to kind of begin, what we need to understand first is some like terminology. And the biggest thing that we need to understand with something like an injury is what the hell is an injury, right? So in the realm of um, the rehab world, people will um, kind of argue or challenge each other on 
what the main definition of an injury is. And honestly, I think all and everyone would pretty much agree that an injury is when an, uh, an external force goes into your tissue and it's more than what the tissue can withstand and it exceeds the threshold and then your body tells you to fuck right off and now you either have a tear, you have a spasm, a pull, whatever it could be, right? So I think that is kind of the foundation groundwork we need to start off with before we kind of get into the nitty gritty. So really simply, injury is external load going into the tissue, tissue can't withstand it, and now it has a tear, it has a pull, a strain, inflammation, and all that jazz. So to kind of start this off, um, I'll kind of go through my story, what happened and what I needed to do. So I've had this happen a similar feeling um, where one section, like if, you, if I had to be really specific, it's like right side, kind of where the rib cage starts. And it's one of those things like if you like poke it, it's not that sore unless you like really dig in there, that's where it is sore. But you know, like I can flex my entire spine, no problem, no pain. Um, rotation left to right sucks terribly. I can't really extend. Um, you know, like when I got into work, thank God that I work with chiropractors. So I got treatment right off the bat. Um, but it wasn't anything ribby. It's more so musculoskeletal, like muscle spasm. And like, literally I can like feel that whole cross section of, um, muscle tissue just kind of like grabbing and it just won't fucking let go and any kind of like sudden movements and I think it's pretty deep because sometimes when I breathe or I rotate a little bit like it'll catch and it'll take my breath away like it's super annoying um like I can't even shoulder check in my car just I don't have the rotation and when I get there it's just game over um so I had some treatment from a chiropractor and usually this is like the biggest mistake I see a lot of people do is they injure themselves like a joint, a muscle, tendon, ligament, whatever it is. And they decide to go down the route of, I'm going to go to a medical doctor and get it checked out. And usually, um, what a medical doctor will do is just refer out to a physio or whatever, or just tell you to not use the thing that you injured and take painkillers or Advil every three hours for the next 48 hours and it should go away. And there's a lot of wrong in that, right? And I think a lot of people they don't understand is like, you know, they'll say roll their ankle and they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. Like in a couple days, I'm going to be able to put weight on it. And then by like next week, I'll be able to go start running again or whatever it is. And like, yeah, you can do the time thing. Like, like rest is definitely part of the rehab process. But honestly, it's kind of in that early acute stage where there's a lot of inflammation. It's like, yeah, there's no way you're going to be moving your ankle if you hurt your ankle. And the biggest mistake that people do is resting it too much. And then it becomes really stiff. Because what happens is like, like how we were talking earlier, when the load exceeds the amount of like the threshold that your tissue can handle you know your tissue breaks apart and now during that inflammation stage everything's trying to repair itself and if you don't have proper inputs to all the at a cellular level 
to fix whatever you damaged, um, then, you know, the cells are just going to throw fucking fibroblasts everywhere to um, heal everything up, but not in an intentional way. It's not going to lay down the ground worth, groundwork um, with a thought process behind it. And what happens is that tissue becomes like dumb tissue and it gets like all crinkly and stiff and now you're going to lose a lot of range of motion and it's just going to get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter if you never address it. So really when it comes to an injury, like the first 48 hours, maybe probably, you know, the first 72 hours are critical on regaining your strength and mobility um, where it was before. A lot of people just go down the path of like, I'm just going to rest it, let it do its thing, I'm going to take some painkillers and like, I'm good to go. But down the line, it's going to show up again. And, you know, another good example, personally, was mine. When I was in high school, I was skateboarding a lot. Like, I did a lot of skateboarding and my body took a toll. So if you think about the nature of the sport of skateboarding, if you were going off, you know, 10 sets of stairs and you're landing, like you're taking a lot of impact into your joints so like knees and ankles big time take a huge beating both of my ankles were fucked like fucked um to a point where like my right ankle uh, the talus bone actually sits forward a little bit so when i say squat i will feel that ankle like i'm kind of hitting a wall like it's almost like a bone on bone thing so what happens is like that that um, talus that's sitting forward, it actually shifts my entire squatting mechanics. And that's why one of the reasons why I don't do back squats a lot. Um, but I've like done as much as I can on the rehab side on my ankle. It's just, it won't get any better. It's bony anatomy now, right? And we've brought this up before, like you're limited to your anatomy. And you know, I've done all the mobility and rehab that I could with this ankle, but it's just not gonna get better. And I even went down the path of getting a chiropractor to adjust it. And it is so stuck, so stuck because over the years of me rolling my ankles, like the impact hit, crushing my ankle on top, um, it's just adapted to that point and everything's just so stiff, right? And that's the worst thing is like creating cellular change at the tissue level where it's not intentional and it's just gonna do its thing and now you're left with a stiff ankle. So when I squat now, knowing that I have that limitation, my body will naturally rotate my pelvis and I almost like twist on the way down and back up. So now I have to play around with my stance if I were to squat and I tend to just do more unilateral exercises. But anyway, that first 72 hours, you need to do a lot to make sure that you're healing properly. So I already kind of t told you what I did and the first thing I got treatment right away. One, to like figure out what it is, you know, like who knows, I could have like slipped a disc at that area. I could have like, it could have been a lot worse, but it's honestly just a muscle spasm and it's just gripping super, super hard. So I got some treatment by both of the chiropractors and my mobility improved. So test and retest, that's the biggest thing that you need to do when it comes to um, any kind of rehab. So before treatment, test, after treatment, test and see if there's a change. Sometimes it doesn't do anything and you're like, fuck, I need to scrap that and move on. So that being said, there was a change and I was like, okay, now I know what I need to do. Day two, which was yesterday for me. Um, this is kind of like a cool thing. Like 
I look at injuries as also an opportunity and almost a blessing because now you can, one, for me, I can better understand where my patients and clients come from when they're injured, but two, implementing all the knowledge that I have into myself to see if it actually works and I'm not, just to see if I'm not all full of shit, right? Um, so my day two, um, knowing what I know, um, thank God for my wife who's in naturopathic medicine that's going through a lot of physical medicine, understands how to maneuver bodies and stuff like that. And the fact that our coffee table right now is a portable chiro table, it worked out beautifully. So test and retest, because I already know what my pain um, triggers are for movement, which is me rotating to the right and rotating to the left and extension. So tested, and then what we did was we did some instrument-assisted um, soft, tissue, soft tissue mobilization, which I'm super happy that I'm bringing this up because I actually have a bunch of my stuff here. Um, so one of the things that does help a lot when it comes to restricted movement, pain mitigation, or anything like that, um, one way of doing it is external loading and tools is a great way to do it and like tools i believe back in the 90s got really really popular to save the hands of practitioners a lot of times you know practitioners will use their thumbs or fingers and stuff like that but then again it's like you're seeing uh, 10 patients a day if you're a chiro or more if you're a um, massage therapist and you're seeing like six a day like that wreaks havoc on your hands so whoever came up with graston was like oh let's just make tools that can release fascia and all that other bullshit so um one of the things i use in the clinic are tools and honestly they're kind of set up as um something like this there's so many out there like i have this one that's kind of geared towards to mimic your thumb and you have like different edges and things like that this fucking edge here sucks because it's super thin, can dig in there. And then you have other things for like bigger pieces of tissue, things like this. Um, again, all these tools, the instrument assisted tools, there's so many brands out there and they all say they're better than their competitors because of whatever thing that they've created. And honestly, like it comes down to preference to the practitioner of like, is this going to help my practice? Is this gonna help my patient, whatever it is? But honestly, they all kind of do the same thing. Um, so when it comes to injuries, that's something that you should look out for. Again, people always ask me, can I buy these things? You can, but if you don't understand your anatomy or you know pain mechanisms and things like that, like you're just gonna do more <laughs> damage than good. And I even remember having this conversation with a patient where I was doing this on uh, the patient. They felt better. The movement got better. After a couple of days, like pain was gone. Like, again, it's not a magical thing. It was also coupled with other things. But they asked me like, oh, can I buy this? And I'm like, yeah, but it might not be a good idea. And they were like, oh, okay. Maybe two weeks go by, same patient comes back in, in a waiting room. And I noticed that uh, left arm was all purple like from the shoulder down to the elbow went over i'm like so you got yourself a, a kit of tools there and he's like yeah i went a little bit overboard and i'm like you think so that is the trouble with all these kind of 
instruments that you can buy online now. Like I've seen them advertised on Instagram, especially really popular in the CrossFit community, but people will overdo it. Like you, there's something called like over-treatment, just like over-training, which all CrossFitters get into, there's the same rule applies for over-treatment. So you don't want to overload it. You know, like a two-hour massage is not better than a one-hour massage if your nervous system can't adapt to it or your tissues can't adapt to it. You know what I mean? It's like the least amount of um, load or external um, stimulus that you need to have change from. You know what I mean? So started with that, with my back. Got blood flow in there. And essentially what it does is like as you slide back and forth, there's friction between the skin and the fascial layer underneath. As you're um, blading back and forth, you're creating heat and blood flow to the area. Now we have friction and slide a little bit between the skin and the fascia that might be all bunched up and you know tight in air quotes. And that allows a little bit more movement, get more blood flow to the area, more white blood cells, things like that, things are repairing. So that was my first kind of attack. My second one was implementing my functional release um, methods that I learned when I took my upper body extremity course almost a year ago today with Dr. Michael Shivers and figuring out one, distinguishing between mechanical tension, neurological tension. That's a whole nother topic that we could do like a full hour to two hours of me talking about it. But um, what, oh, you can actually see my certification for that right now. Um, what that means is with FR release, it's more intentional and we're putting, again, that external stimulus into the tissue to influence change of all those little muscle cells that are responsible for rebuilding the tissue. So I had my wife basically find those painful spots, dig her thumb in. Now, she, like it's almost similar to ART, but that's a whole nother thing, um, which is another um, treatment modality that a lot of good um, physios and chiros use for um, pain, injury, whatever it is. So any kind of hands-on tissue manipulation is gonna do wonders for a soft tissue injury like I'm having. So the FR uh, release techniques, we started using that, adding more movement, and like a huge advocate of movement. That's the other thing is like a lot of times when people get injured, they don't wanna do anything. They just, they just rest it, but now you're stiffening things up. So knowing what um, painful patterns I had, I'm gonna to try to add in my rotation, pain-free, of course, and again, throwing in extension patterns. So the next thing I did, because if we're looking at a muscle spasm, and I know that a lot of stuff comes down to um, fascia and tissue. Um, we did a lot of cupping. So I, in the clinic, use quite a bit of cups. Um, these ones that I use right now are rock pods. So they're built for movement. They also come in different sizes. Right. Um, so we put a bunch on my back and added um, cat-cows and T-spine rotations with those on. And, you know, when we tested after, all those pathways of uh, left-right rotation, right-rotation, and extension all improved, so we're on the right track. So the big thing with cupping, if you look at the nature of it, it's literally a suction cup. And if you think about our 
fascial layers on top of each other. When we put a cup in it, literally lifts the skin. Now we have more movement because of less friction between the fascial layers. So now we're also adding blood flow to the area once again, just like the instrument assisted when we were blading. And again, with all the nerve endings that are very, very close to the spine, now I'm letting the nerves kind of settle down because if I have an injury around close to the spine on, on a muscular level, then all the nerves that come out of the spinal cord off to the side, um, they're definitely being compressed and sending more pain signals and telling my brain not to let me rotate past a certain point or I'm going to send pain signals. So having um, those nerves kind of settle down for a little bit are going to help tremendously. So when it comes to cupping, that is another way, an option for um, treatment. And a lot of people, they don't know what, you know, instrument-assisted uh, soft tissue mobilization is or cupping or anything like that. And when I always bring up a chiropractor, people just assume like, um, you're just going to get your neck cracked and your whole body cracked and you're out of there. But a lot of chiropractors are very, 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 very different. It all kind of depends on how they're building their business and their practice. So the ones that I work with are spending more time with patients, usually anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, and it's very exercise and movement based. So when it comes to these kind of modalities, both chiropractors use them. It is more education to get under your belt and some chiros don't choose to do it. Um, some physios don't even do it. So it really depends on finding the right person. But if you are looking for a more holistic approach to um, injury prevention and treatment, then these are the things that your practitioner should be doing or trying. And, you know, the people that go down the route of, oh, there's not a lot of good research in instrument-assisted or cupping or whatever it is, but, but I think we all can agree that if I placed a cup on someone's back who's been dealing with back pain forever and has gone to physio and chiro and massage and this and that, and this one little baby cup that I put on their um, back, like literally just put these on and they're on their back and they feel better. And now they have more confidence. They have more confidence in their injury and they start feeling better. And they're almost to a point where they can always go, almost go back to normal. Am I going to say, you know what? I'm not going to continue cupping you because not supported that well in research and you know what we're just gonna move on like that's kind of stupid you know like there is something called the placebo effect which is like can be up towards 70 percent effective right so it's one of those things like why not why not right if the end goal is to make someone feel better it doesn't matter what you do Right. Some people even like you'll read stories that people have like back pain for years and they go see some guru out and whatever. And it's more of a spiritual healing process. And, you know, after a weekend, the person's like, I don't have back pain anymore. Like, are you going to tell that person's like, no, that's not supported by research. You actually do have back pain. Like, come on. Right. So it really, really depends. But there are other options out there. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Like, you know, they'll go to one practitioner, physio or chiro, whatever it is. They don't have that great of an experience. They're like, yeah, I went to physio and they made me take a band and do this thing for my shoulder. And it's not really getting better. It's just like, 
just like in, in any industry, like you're going to have shitty chiros and physios out there that are not that great, right? It's just move on and find somebody else that's going to get the job done, right? Um, so today's my day three right now. So I've already showed you the two things that I did and I could have done more, but we went back to our point where there's such thing as like overstimulation of uh, treatment. So today what I'm going to do is actually tape my back with uh, rock tape and like going back to my cups, there's so many different cups on the market <laughs> once again. And just like the instruments that I showed you that I use, there are so many different brands of cups. There's glass cups with like a little gun that will suction out. Um, there is the glass fire cups where you put literally fire into the cup and then you put it onto someone's back or whatever injured area and you suck it right off. Um, there are silicone club, uh, cups that slide. So the ones that I use stay on stationary and then we would add movement. So, you know, I'm a huge advocate of the FRC system. So, you know, I'll put cups on people's um, rotator cuff and now let's do shoulder cars from that position like that's money um and same thing like can you buy these online hell yeah you can go on amazon buy a cup set if you really want to should you mm, probably not it goes back down to like do you really know your anatomy well do you know if you're gonna put a cup near your neck if you're not gonna hit like some sort of artery that's gonna you know get sucked up and it's gonna cut oxygen to your brain you're gonna pass out do you know enough about that? Probably not. But funny enough, when I got certified in cups through um, the Rock Tape Company, um, <laughs> we're all sitting at our desks, super excited to get started. And they're like, okay, so you can open up your cup set. And then as everyone's like tearing, opening up to like play around with them, they were like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Before everyone like gets all excited, whatever you do, do not put a cup on your neck. And everyone's like, like laughing, like what? And the instructor said that their last course right away someone put one like right on their neck and then like within five minutes the person fell out of their desk and passed out because they prevented oxygen flow to the brain and they literally made themselves pass out so with cupping literally literally you need to know your anatomy but the other thing i wanted to mention if you're dealing with a nerve pain cups are going to help a lot and that's why i brought up um, my nerves in my back like it will help a lot. So if you are dealing with nerve pain, that's something to understand is that nerves absolutely hate compression. They hate being tight and being pulled or anything like that. So an example is people with sciatic pain where they get that rushing, shooting pain down their leg is usually because of the muscles surrounding the sciatic nerve in the hip. When those get super tight, they kind of compress against the nerve and the nerve will tell you to fuck right off and do something about it. So a lot of times when you cup the long sciatic nerve or any kind of brachial plexus nerve that goes down your arm that, and you're dealing with shooting pain, like it does help quite a bit. I've seen it in practice a lot and it does wonders. So if you're dealing with nerve pain, opt to try cupping. It's going to help a lot. Um, the next thing. So today, day three, I'm going to try to, again, add movement today. I'm gonna to try to do like a cars routine and some low level pails in rotation and extension to help influence the tissue change. And then I'm gonna tape myself with rock tape. So rock tape is essentially a better version of kinesiology tape. I've played with both 
Um, I just prefer rock tape. I feel like the adhesive inside is a little higher quality. Um, so essentially what rock tape does is, again, that kind of lifting effect that cups do. So if I have a slap of tape on tissue, it's going to lift the skin and the tape has is super flexible. So if I decide to like move, it's going to move along with my skin. So if I add movement with my tape, it's again moving all that those fascial layers that might be compressed and tight around the injury. So it's going to help promote the healing process a little bit better, you're getting more blood flow, and it's also kind of stopping that pain cycle. So if you know the pain gate theory at all, if you don't search it up, but essentially in that area where I'm injured right now, there's constant feedback going through my spinal cord to my brain that, hey, this area is injured, and then the brain sends a signal back to prevent movement from there to protect myself. So slapping a piece of tape can either slow down that process or even stop it. So now when I decide to like work on my rotation, I might be able to get a little bit further and influence a little bit more change um, intentionally and improve the tissue quality around it with just tape. But there is a huge placebo effect. And like we were talking before, um, 70%, it can be up towards 70%. And how I explain rock tape to patients in the clinic is like, you know, that ability, like not the ability, that moment you like, say you're walking in your house and you smoke your elbow in the corner of whatever wall, corner of your table, and you do this with your hand really quick and you're like, ah. And like this, you're not doing anything. But for some reason, we like need to like baby our injury and like hold it to make ourselves feel better. But we're not doing anything at a cellular level to like stop pain or anything. Like it just feels good to have something on there. So same concept with this tape, like putting a piece of tape on top of your injury, it kind of gives you that supportive feel and you feel like, oh, okay, I'm not like complete garbage today. Like I'll be able to like move around and do my thing if I have this tape on, right? So it kind of gives that sense of um, confidence if you're dealing with an injury. And I'm hoping that today this is going to be my saving grace when after when I get done with this thing, it's going to help a lot. The other thing that I have not got into is a whole topic of acupuncture. And, you know, my wife can do acupuncture. Um, there's two types. One is um, traditional Chinese acupuncture where they kind of just stay on top of the skin and go along meridian points. The other style is kind of like IMS dry needling where they go right into the muscle belly and really F you up, um, which works great. And everyone reacts to it a little bit differently. I personally don't get the best um, relief, I would say, from acupuncture. It's more so like my nervous system goes like, like the best way to describe it is if I decided to like deadlift my one rep max every single day and then run a marathon on top of it, like I, w I'm, I just feel toast, like I'm just drained because like it's just overload, over stimulation for my um, nervous system. But I've done it multiple times in the past and it does help, but I just rather feel like myself if I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go back to work and train clients and do my thing. I rather kind of be all there and have the capacity to do it. Um, whereas like getting a, an adjustment from a Cairo to help with the joints between where the injured area is to have a little bit more motion and movement that helps a lot. But that's another route that people need to look at is getting dry needling done. If you're in the States, 
it really depends from state to state because I know in the state of New York, unless they change it recently, I don't know, I don't follow the physiotherapy world out there. They don't allow dry needling, but then if you, you know, go to California, I think they allow you to do needling and things like that. So it really depends on where you are here in British Columbia, Vancouver. Um, physiotherapists are allowed to needle out in Ontario. Chiropractors are allowed to do acupuncture, but here in BC, they're not. So it all kind of depends on where you're at. Um, so there's a lot of options, you know, like I, I feel bad that, you know, I get a lot of messages through Instagram. People are like, hey, I've been dealing with this injury. I've seen a physio. Um, they weren't that great. What else should I do? And I'm like, I started asking questions. It's just people just don't know. People just don't know there are other options out there that can help a lot. Um, there's some people that don't even know that, for example, there's pelvic floor physios out there to help with anything below the belt for both men and women right and i get a lot of questions about like oh i get low back pain when i do front planks and it's been uh, six months since i had my kid and i'm like have you seen a pelvic floor physio and they're like what the hell is that and i'm like we need to educate and this stuff is super 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 important because we all will have a point in our life where we will take our kid out of the car seat and our whole back just fucks up the whole fucking day for you and you are grinning your teeth trying to move all day and you don't know what to do. So if you guys have any questions about your injury, um, what options are there, who you should go see, physio, chiro, RMT, fucking osteopathic practitioner, whoever, like feel free to reach out. I have a lot of experience. I've been working in the clinic the last three years with all these different types of practitioners and I've learned a lot um, and movement is my passion. Movement is part of this whole equation on rehab. So feel free to reach out. That's it for me. Hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. All those watching, make sure you subscribe. You guys have been listening. And like, I think the last couple times I hit, I told, told you guys to subscribe, I'm getting a lot of you doing it because I post a lot. I have a lot of great content on there. And I want to thank everyone watching my YouTube stuff. Like it's been crazy to see how fast it's been growing. You guys are amazing. Maybe one day I'll actually put the effort to like do what all the other YouTubers do with all the little buttons and shit that pop up on the screen that no one even fucking cares about it, but it looks cool. So maybe one day I'll do that. Who knows? But that's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much and be awesome. You guys are awesome. Fucking kill it. All right, see ya. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Majuszewski, and it's been a while since I posted a new video, vlog, podcast, whatever you want to call it, because um, I've been off for a week, and I still have, like, two more days off from work and the hustle and all that, and... Uh, it got me thinking on my trip of what I should, you know, come back to. And I have like a lot of ideas and things that I want to, you know, bring up in this uh, podcast episode. And one of them is actually like taking time off of training. So there is this whole thing called overtraining. And I have experienced that many times. And I physically had to learn the hard way um, to get through it. And a lot of it was injury, pulling things, getting sore in areas where you're not supposed to. And it's kind of like our body's natural way of like, you know, 
telling us to slow down. And this only happens when you get to a, like a certain point of um, training, like training frequency. And, you know, I'm trying to think the last time where I kind of felt overtrained. And it was probably at least maybe five months ago. And literally was like, and I think a lot of people have this experience too, where, you know, when in the clinic setting, especially is like when people come into the clinic and they're like, Oh, I've like pulled my back. And then, you know, we ask like, well, what happened? And they're like, I bent over to grab my kid and my entire back went out. And you know, that's not overtraining, but it kind of is. And let me explain why. So the definition of overtraining is like, say you're training like seven days a week, you haven't taken a break, every workout you're literally trying to like increase your weights, you know, try to run a little bit further or faster or go longer on your bike because it's summer and it's nice out or whatever it is. And you're not actually giving your body enough time to actually recover. And a lot of those people like those gym goers or even trainers that literally train every single day and it's just part of their life and you realize that you go an entire year of training nonstop and something will go that will stop you and for me it's like i usually like pull something in my back my shoulder starts hurting for random reasons or i get really 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 tired and feel like absolute shit so now, and then on top of that, if someone is, you know, training for long periods of time and they have a super stressful job, like double whammy, like you're not gonna last. So I would say this last two years, I've been paying attention to my volume personally, like very closely. And I've kind of found a sweet spot for at least myself. And this doesn't, you know, um, mean that it works for everybody, but honestly, I used to do the whole, like, I'm gonna get four to five um, strength workouts a week that are like a full hour. I'm gonna do like some sprint intervals on my off days. I'm gonna do some mobility training and what have not, or what have you, whatever that fucking saying is. But, um, and I would always get to a point where I'm constantly pushing myself and then something would go and it started happening pretty often, like probably at least four times a year. And I'm like, okay, hey, don't like this. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of used to the whole idea of constantly, you know, training every single day. And how can I implement that, you know, routine in my life um, where I don't get injured? So I had, um, created this new routine ever since COVID happened where, especially in the beginning when COVID kind of shut everything down, um, I was in a position where I was working like non fucking stop to ensure that my business would survive, like my brick and mortar business of the gym and uh, the clinic. So I was spending a lot of time on my computer changing everything online and just going to the facility every single day. And like, it was like nonstop. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have full hours. So I started doing like 20 to 30 minute workouts. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna like switch to like kettlebell stuff. Cause like, if I can't do it at work, like it'll come home or like before work starts, let's get a quick like kettlebell workout in. And sometimes like the kettlebell workouts. And honestly today, this is what I'm gonna do is like, okay, I'm pressed for time. I'm gonna do a 10 minute warm up. 
that includes my soft tissue, whatever it is, and I'm just gonna do 100 swings. And whatever I need to do to get to 100 swings is what I'm gonna do. So I'll like grab my 24 kilo kettlebell, do 10 swings, rest a little bit, 10 swings, rest a little bit, repeat that 10 times, boom, done. Right, and that worked really well for me. And I started doing that and I was like, you know what, I feel pretty good, like, you know, sometimes when you get those workouts in and you're like, okay, full hour, I have to do all this stuff. And by the end of it, you're actually more tired than you were going in and you're like, fuck. And then, you know, things build up over time and you actually don't feel that great. And when I started doing these shorter workouts, uh, I kind of found a rhythm to it. And I was like, okay, like I feel pretty good doing, you know, five, four to five kettlebell workouts a week, doing my kin stretch. That's like 40 to 45 minutes. And it was pretty good. And I was like, okay, well, now that I kind of have this as a habit and routine, I can do other things during the day that can, um, you know, keep me active and things like that. And a thing I started doing is um, even during like the winter months, I really enjoyed like first thing in the morning, take my dog out for a walk. without my phone and everything like that, just to kind of clear my head, get some ideas for projects, um, kind of like work out problems that I may be facing in my business, how I can, you know, contribute differently in relationships or whatever it is, you know, like a lot of good thoughts and ideas and problem solving because this day and age we have like no time to be with our own thoughts and like think about stuff. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest issues we face right now is because we don't have time. Like, ask yourself, when was the last time you had, like, one minute where you're not looking at your phone? You don't have something playing in front of you when you're not stimulated whatsoever, and you're just, like, in your head thinking about stuff. Like, probably hasn't happened in a very, very, very long time. So, um yeah, so I ended up getting into um, a habit of, like, walking, like, three kilometers every single day with my dog. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, pretty good. Like, getting, like, a 30-minute walk with my dog every single day. And then the other nice thing was, like, I have a spin bike at home. And, you know, if I need to throw in, like, an extra 20 minutes on the spin bike, I can do intervals I can do a recovery thing and that's kind of been my routine so like literally my week consists of like um four 20 to 30 minute workouts with a kettlebell or like literally like one of my days is because like you know I, I like deadlifting ever since I posted maybe again five months ago um just to see because I haven't deadlifted for ever um uh maybe video uh, I had a video I posted, yeah, five months ago of the trap bar deadlift, and I did 285, I think, for a couple reps, and I was like, oh, like, you know, I haven't deadlifted in two years, that's a pretty good strength to, you know, hold on to, and all I've been doing is, like, 20 to 30 minute workouts and walking, um, so I was like, you know what, it would be kind of cool to get back into deadlifting, and the last 12 weeks, I literally have one day a week where, I just do the trap bar deadlift. I literally do like six sets of two or three reps and I, you know, have my percentages for it and do my warm up and it's like a 20 minute workout and that's it. Um, 
and then I do two Ken stretch workouts for myself and then that's it like that that has been working for me so with overtraining when I used to do that a lot uh, my body would physically tell me to stop and things like pulling my back would happen and it's like my body's way of telling me like you need to slow down and if you don't slow down I'm going to physically force you to slow down and that is like literally the worst feeling because it's like you have this small little like tweak and you're like the rest of my body feels good but I physically can't do what I used to do because of this stupid little thing and you know when it comes to just patients coming in like I was mentioning earlier about you know oh I reached down to go grab something and um, you know I pulled my back and you know it isn't a case kind of like overtraining but um, it's just that the stress that their body's able to take is very low that thresholds really 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 low so any repetitive motion bending over that threshold lower so they go do that and their body gives out and they're like F you. So kind of similar to overtraining, right? Your thresh, you reach your threshold of how much volume of training and stress you can take and your body tells you to like, well, I'm going to tell you to stop. Um, so overtraining is something that, you know, I haven't spoke about in a long time, but it's, it's there. So anytime there are signs of overtraining, which is like, if you find yourself getting like tired a lot more, like in the middle of the day, you're just like, I'm not usually tired at this time or like, you know, it's, you wake up and at by 10 a.m. you're like, fuck, I could go to sleep right now. And like sometimes this has happened to me where, you know, I've pushed myself to limit in the gym nonstop, high stress environment at work, whatever it is. And then, you know, you get home early one day and you're like, you know, I'm just going to lie down, just like, just chill. And then you end up just falling asleep out of nowhere. And you're like, wow, my body really needs this. And that's, that's another thing. It's like, say on the weekend you have the op rare opportunity to like just chill and do nothing and you find yourself falling asleep in the middle of the day and you're like i need this my my body's just tired um you can also see a change in um hunger so when i get to the verge of overtraining i'm hungry all the fucking time i'm like okay i need to slow down my body is not happy with this um and then even like in your workouts, your strength declines, right? So one of the reasons why I added um, my trap bar deadlift is like, you know, say I'm doing 70% of my max. I've always done six sets of fucking four reps, whatever it is. And, you know, I start, you know, my first set, I'm like, oh man, this feels really heavy where, you know, two weeks ago, this was nothing. So like even those little things of like you feeling you can't push yourself, or like, you know, say you're doing a spin class and, you know, you're on your Peloton and you do the same uh, workout every week and you find yourself at one point feeling like, oh, this, this workout really kicked my ass for some reason. Like, that's another sign of overtraining. Or say you're doing your run, you're doing the same, I don't know, five kilometer loop around your neighborhood and you're like, man, I like kicked my ass and I was like six minutes slower than I usually am. Like, another sign of overtraining like these are the things you need to look at and the nice thing is like you like I physically will plan my time off of the gym and sometimes that's what you need right because if you really think about it like every time you work out you're placing a stress on your body and you're hoping that 
you know, your sleep is good, your nutrition is good, you're able to take on all the stresses of life and recover from it, and on top of that, recover from a workout in order to get stronger and adapt. And sometimes we just can't recover as fast, and you accumulate all this stress over time, and then your body's like, no. So sometimes plan breaks is a good thing. Like, you know, guaranteed when I get back into the gym this week and like actually start pushing, like going back to my deadlift. Like I remember uh, last week when I finished my last deadlift um, um, workout, like I was at my heaviest. I think I was at probably like 85% of my max. And like by that last set, I was like, wow, I'm fucking tired and done. Like that's enough um yeah like getting to that point and then having this week off going back into the gym this week it's probably going to be freaking killer like I'll have a lot of stored energy that I can just burn off and you know I've been eating more than I usually am and that's gonna help me kind of push into my next set of workouts which I'm super excited about um but a lot of people who don't plan breaks when they train non-stop you're going to be forced right so you're better off like you know looking at your year and again this one of the things that I've learned in my career is like plan your entire year out like not only your training but also like other aspects of your life and I always do this with uh, my employees my contractors whoever it is to learn to you know crush goals throughout the year so i kind of have these like five categories and i'm going to be all over this uh podcast episode by the way because i have like a lot of ideas so anyway um every october i plan my entire year like coming up and i have these five categories one it's um physical goals um personal goals (laughs) professional goals financial goals and spiritual goals and then within those five i'll have like three main ones that i want to hit for the year and in there as i plan the out out the year like throughout the year i'll have like about two weeks where i'll take time off of training completely and like that can be as like okay my only exercise activity and exercise is like walking the dog foam rolling doing like my daily cars in the morning whatever it is and that's all i need and then when i go back to the gym and i'm like lifting heavy weights boom amazing and again like people getting worried about like oh i'm gonna lose all my you know gains i'm gonna like gain a lot of weight and everything it's like it's one week out of the entire year of you being consistent like at no time ever on the history of this planet someone exercising for a week made them leaner and made them lose a bunch of weight like that never happens so it won't happen in the reverse where if you don't train for a week and you're consistent all year round you're not going to gain like 10 pounds and you're not going to lose all your strength like that's physically impossible if you did that for a month yeah hell yeah you're going to lose quite a bit of strength and gain weight if you're inactive but a week is not going to do any damage um so that being said like something to think about when it comes to your training like plan breaks and if you're planning an entire year like you know if you know that in the summer you're going to go away for camping or whatever it is or you're going to go visit a city and you know now that travel is going to be coming back like you can plan those things right like for me the next like time off of um, training is going to be when I go to Disneyland in November but again like my activity is going to be walking all the fucking time and 
might not sound like a lot, but you know, last time when I went to Disney, like we were there from open till close. So literally either at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. until midnight walking nonstop. And, you know, I think we averaged about 10 kilometers every single day walking, like that's quite a bit. And I wouldn't have the time or energy to get any other training in. So that's kind of like my time off from training. And when I came back, same thing, I was like, oh fuck yeah, I feel good. Um, so overtraining one thing. The other thing I wanted to bring up is like people that are not training consistently every single day of the week and they're like you know the two to three times um a week of weight training whatever it is and then you take time off again it's not going to kill you to take that time off but you kind of want to stay active like you don't want to just you know sit around and drink and eat nonstop. You want to find something active. So if you're on a trip somewhere, like, I don't know, you go to fucking Hawaii, like, go for a hike, like, go do something, go swimming, go whatever, just stay active, try not to, you know, fall into that whole idea of, like, oh, I'm just going to sit my ass on the beach and drink nonstop, like, move a little bit, move, like, even if it's, like, you're at a resort in Mexico and you wake up early for some reason because you're still on freaking your time to wake up uh, for work like walk around the resort a couple times go grab a cup of coffee and then boom whenever it's time to drink start drinking whatever who cares but um you know it takes time to like train on vacation um it took me a long time to kind of get there but i think it's like as my I guess career kind of fell in line a little bit easier for myself and I was in full control of my schedule. When it came to vacation time, I was like, yeah, I should get a workout in or two. Um, but again, it took a long time and everyone's a little bit different, but that's a whole nother story. Um, the other topic I wanted to get into is, um, and I brought this up once, I believe, um, on my show where I talked about like uh, the power of Kim stretch and you know, ever since I got my functional range assessment certification, um, I've been having a lot of people reach out to me online, in person to get that done and start doing kin stretch because the last, I guess, year I've been posting a lot about, you know, true mobility training, true flexibility and learning what that actually means and how to maintain long lasting joint health and long-lasting flexibility and you know i think it was back in october where i did my first like what is kin stretch video and maybe i'll link that in uh, the show notes if you wanted to watch it um so the big thing that i've been seeing is that people want to move and feel better more than anything right now you know, like before I, being, I was always getting a lot of people where they're like, oh, I just want to like lose weight and like I just want to start training and lifting heavy and whatever it is. And that's all great and good. But like sometimes you just you need to focus and prioritize your mobility and joint health. And I think more than ever right now, people are just broken. People are sore. People are stiff from sitting all day, especially since COVID started with everyone working from home. People don't have, you know, proper setups for their desks. 
people are working out of their beds for like three hours until moving onto the couch because like they don't even have an office space or whatever it was or like maybe they did have an office space before but then they had kids and a dog and like fucking iguana in the corner or whatever it is a fish tank um it kind of just took over your space and you know you're literally kind of all over the place when it comes to um for work but um i think the big thing now that i see in this industry is people want their joints to feel better because they have figured out that if i can't move my shoulder like this without pain why am i going to the gym and like doing an upper body workout and things hurting and i have to stop and i can only do you know lower body it's not the best so when people go through the FRA, which is an abbreviation for the functional range assessment with me, people start asking a lot of questions like, okay, with all this information, like, what do you do with it? Like, how does a kin stretch workout and work and differ from like yoga and any other stretching routine? And really, like, I look at it as the gold standard, like everything that the FRC, FRS, kin stretch, whatever it certification you want to bring up within that uh, company um the creator dr andrew spina has literally went through all the literature and research on rehab um, joint health recovery post-op whatever it is and organized into a system better than anyone else and at its core you know when you look at what a muscle cell does in your body um, essentially, um, in a kin stretch setting, FRC setting, FR setting, whatever it is, you want to influence your tissue to become more resilient. And how you do that is by sending external inputs into uh, the cellular level. So me doing a pails and rails contraction or a hover or an isometric contraction or whatever thing that... I decide to do in my kin stretch class, for example, um, communicates at a cellular level. So I send an isometric contraction through my hip because I need more hip external rotation. I send the signal to um, the cells responsible for stuff in the hip and they get that information. And I've built an opportunity for myself to lay down more resilient tissue. And this is how I kind of explain it to anyone new to um, kin stretch that um, every day we have a new set of muscle cells waiting for information from you. So we have a couple options. We can wake up, have that opportunity, decide to go sit in our car, for an hour, drive to our office, sit down for um, eight hours, and then go back into our car and fight off traffic for another hour and sit down, and then go to our dinner table, sit for an hour, and then go onto the couch and sit for a couple hours watching whatever show, you know, low-key, um, which is amazing, by the way. Um, and then go back to sleep. So that entire day, we've been influencing at a cellular level that, hey, 
all you need to do is be really efficient at keeping me uh, in a seated position. And your muscle cells go, okay, let's lay down some uh, tissue and kind of neurological and mechanical tightness to keep you there. Or I can get into a 90-90 position with my hips, influence at a cellular level to stay loose and more limber, whatever term you want to use, and then challenge that new acquired range by doing active range liftoffs, hovers, um, any other implement you can think of from that whole FRS system. And that's how you literally will keep new acquired range. Like you have an opportunity every single day to influence um, your tissue quality. Right, so you know that lame saying if you don't use it, you lose it holds very, very, very true, and like everybody understands that. Yeah, when I don't exercise and move, everything feels stiff and tight. It's like, yeah, like when I go to a conference for three days and I sit in a conference hall and then go on an airplane and come back home, like, holy fuck, my hips and low back are super tight, and I like doesn't need to foam roll for like two hours or get a massage like yeah that makes sense right so rather than doing that i can do kin stretch for 45 minutes and that's 45 minutes of influence at a very high rate um where i can you know gain more mobility and keep it and kind of the difference too when people ask well what's the difference with yoga yoga you get flexible in a linear path so say I am doing warrior two and I do warrior two the same every single class I get really efficient at warrior two but say with my arms being out and I want to rotate this way I'm not allowed to do that because that's not how a warrior two looks like so kin stretch will make you mobile and strong in multiple different planes of motion like I want more hip external rotation but I can achieve that in like a hundred different ways depending on how I position my body right and then on top of that getting into a stretch position for hip external rotation I can add um, an active component a lot of yoga is very passive if you're holding a pose for x amount of time and then you move on I'm not bashing yoga it's a different um training mechanism but when it comes to um protecting you from injury kin stretch and its principles is your best bet so an example is say i had a baseball pitcher and they tore their rotator cuff in a shoulder abducted position with external rotation it's in my best interest to get that athlete patient in the position that they got injured in and make them as strong as fucking possible in there. So, you know, say they tore the rotator cuff and their, you know, active range is like far back there. Because when you see baseball pitchers, like they can externally rotate their shoulder like no tomorrow. So say their range is here. Now I've got to get them back to where they were. So now I need to get them stronger in all these positions until they get back to this position here where they can actually throw. So that's one example. Another example is say you have, and I use this all the time, explaining kin stretch. Say you have someone 
that's a soccer player and they're on the field, but it rained the night before and game's first thing in the morning and the grass is super wet and you're playing the game and you go to cut and your whole foot slides on the grass because it's super wet and you pull a groin. But how do I prevent something like that? Say I get someone into a split-like position laterally because that's how they pull their groin as far as possible and train them in that position with pails and rails, active range liftoffs, hovers, whatever it is. So now when the next time they go into that environment where they slide onto the grass, but I've you know put them in that position before and I've trained in those ranges, most likely they're not gonna pull anything. They might get like a little twinge, but they're gonna be like, oh, I'm good to go, right? So essentially what we're doing is creating more of a threshold in your tissues at their end ranges because that's where an injury happens right like you don't ever injure your neck doing this it's going to be here at one point and then like going too far right so if you look at a definition of what an injury is is when an enough of an external force enters the tissue and the tissue can't handle that external force and then something breaks right so you know me doing this to my arm won't break the bones in my forearm because the force like i'm used to that amount of force but say you drop a fucking boulder on my thing like maybe it won't break but i might fracture it or you know puncture my skin whatever it is right but same thing like if i wanted to you know say if i was a nfl lineman or d-end and you know one of the things that can happen on the outside of the plays like grabbing another player to bring him down and my like the motion is this so like from an frs perspective i should take this football player in a position where they would get into this and you know if they have a fucking running back going this way and i don't want my entire arm to like explode off i could literally get into a wall or like put a ball against a pillar and hold and ice and actually contract in all these different positions as hard as possible to ensure that when that load happens, that force as I'm coming through, my arm's okay, right? So like you're literally bulletproofing your body for any kind of external load that may happen. And this is the beauty of kin stretch is that there's so many variable movements that our body does. And because we're all one unit, we can play along with that anatomy and become more resilient so that's kind of a long-winded answer of like what i explain to people because when i do a elevator pitch it's like it's stretching on steroids but really what it is it's like you're bulletproofing your body for anything and i think now a lot of people want to feel better rather than like i want to get as strong as possible and lose weight Right, like those are the byproducts of, you know, training properly. Right? But um, I think now a lot of people just want to move and feel better from what I've been seeing, what I've been hearing. So I think I'm gonna end it there because you know, I have a lot that I can talk about, and we're already at 33 minutes. And I think people, you know, toleration for long videos is kind of around this point in time, but. Um, Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. 
Uh, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram, and give me a five-star review on my podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, whatever it is, um, make sure you leave a review. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You guys have been listening again, so thank you. So hit the show notes and subscribe to my YouTube channel so you get a notification anytime I uh, upload something new. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much, you guys. This is amazing that, you know, this podcast has been going on this long. I think I'm coming up to my five-year anniversary for this podcast, which is super cool. Um, You guys are amazing. Thank you for the support. Until next time.